You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. Corinthians 3, verse 15. And the whole passage, I am tempted to look even, um, let's look at verse 12. Does the booth have verse 12? Yeah, we'll read in verse 12, and we'll lead down into verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Speaking of Moses in this passage in Exodus 34, where he's in the presence of God, and he comes down, and his face is shining, you heard of that? And he puts a veil over his face because his face is shining and he's almost scaring the people of God. He's been in the presence of God. His face is shining and illuminating. And so in verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, I love that, you see the shift there in verse 16. But when one turns, you can see that repentance, that metanoia, that repentance in that last week we talked about repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, come to the kingdom, blessed are you, blessed are the misfits as we looked at last week. But as as one turns to the Lord, verse 16, the veil is removed, the light goes on, you could say. Verse 17, uh, now the Lord is the spirit as we sung about earlier and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We sang about this idea. Verse 18, and we all, you could say today, right now, all of us who are followers of Jesus, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, as we talked about just a few moments ago, we are being transformed. Love that. That's going to be the theme of today, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's open in prayer. Father, we, we come before you today in humble adoration. We come before you today knowing, God, that the very breath in our lungs comes from you. We come here today knowing that our life is from you. You are our life. God, help us to recognize the reality of both our physical existence and our spiritual life. Help us to recognize the moving of your spirit within our very hearts, within our church, and when we gather as a people of God, Father, that you are alive and you are real. And God, I pray that you would work the change that your spirit has upon us, that you would continue to mold us and shape us and form us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Give us that sense today that we are being changed even in this very moment. And Father, I'm grateful for your truth. I'm grateful for all that is happening, even in this moment. The children that are being instructed and loved and encouraged in in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the families that are gathering, the life that is here, the people who can't even make it here or online and joining with us from wherever they can. God, I'm grateful for your church. I'm grateful for your people. 
May you be glorified. May you be honored today. Give us a sense today of focus, Lord. There are many things that are distracting us. There are many things pouring into our minds and, f- and distracting us into different directions. Lord, give us a sense of understanding and wisdom today that we would see you for who you are, that your truth would be unveiled before us, and we would recognize the reality of you and your work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before we jump right into it, I just wanted to uh, mention there's a discovery class following the service. I think Lawrence mentioned that already. Um, so if you are uh, new or interested in learning more about the church, want to get involved, you're welcome to join us for a lunch. Some people have signed up already, but I know there's some extras. So uh, welcome to join us for lunch, I think around 1230 in the youth room. Uh, we're going to be going through a few things, and um, I'm excited about that. Second uh, Corinthians 3 is where we looked in that concept there of being transformed. Today's message is, how do I change? How do I change? And... Um, I guess it's kind of along the lines of what we've been talking about. Uh, even right now, if you consider what you're doing, uh, you're sitting in, a, in a, a church service, or maybe later on you're listening to this while you're driving down the road someday, but right now, in this moment, you're here, you've come and taken time out of your busy week, your busy day, you've gotten dressed up, and you've, you've come all the way here to church, and, and you, you've wrangled the kids in the minivan, and you've gotten them at wherever it might all that that goes into it, and you're here in this moment, we've just been uh, alluded to, we've learned about uh, so many activities going on here at the church that are coming up. We, we opened in prayer and the reading of scripture. We sang praises to God about a variety of glorious things, and now we're sitting, and we've, we've prayed, we've lifted people up, we've heard testimony, and now we sit and we listen, and then we'll close in a worship song, and then we'll leave. And it's like, what is going on here? <laughs> what are we doing? And I think there are times, when, even in moments like this, where I think if, if, we, if we're moving too quickly, if we're living at the speed of life that everyone else is living at around, at warp speed, we, we forget to recognize the change that's going on in our lives, even in this very moment. That right now, you are being changed now, often the change is small. It's, uh, only, some would say it's called micro changes. There are little aspects of areas in your heart and in your life in which you are being formed and shaped. Everything that you take in uh, is coming out in one way or another, whether you understand that or not. And even today, you've been making little micro changes in your heart as you've been either submitting to the truths that have been preached and sung, and we, or, or you are resisting them. And everybody knows where you are at with that, in a sense, in your own heart. I don't know, but you can be sitting in a service and you can be being changed by the Spirit of, the God, by the Spirit of God and submitting to Him and drawing closer to Him and drawing nearer to Him, or you can be drifting further and further away. And where is that place? And that is sometimes an area where we don't always recognize the change until much later. It's very small and minuscule, and yet, uh, I also, I, I, the other day, I, I saw a picture of myself, I think it was on Facebook where they do those like old pictures. It's a picture of me in like high school, Jamie and I, in high school, like when we first started dating. <laughs> and some of you have never seen that picture, and I'm very grateful for that, right? And I thought to myself, I was like, whoa, baby, I've changed, you know? Like, I was a little baby then, you know? 
Now I'm just an old, mature adult, right? You know? and actually, the other day, I pulled a, a, gray, a gray hair and plucked that thing out of my beard, you know? I'm like, what child caused that, you know? Uh, probably all of them combined, because I'm finding more, right? I'm like trying to, oh, plug it out. It's not coming, you know? You're getting older. And I remember, you, I actually can distinctly remember, like, when I grew up in church and preachers would get up here and do what I'm doing right now, talk about the good old days and when they're now old. And I thought, wow, dude, guy's so old, you know, all these things. And now I'm like up here and I'm like doing the same thing, right? You know, and it comes full circle. Things change quickly. A lot of times people change. Change is inevitable in some ways. Change is everywhere. Things we love and like, sometimes they're gone. It change, change happens. Yet there seems to be some things that never change, right? Have you ever, maybe you've gone back, maybe you lived in this area, I don't know, maybe you went back to your high school, and you're like, wow, you walk into your high school, and you're like, wow, some things never change. There, there are certain things that remain the same. It's like the smell of, of, of grandma's house or whatever, right? It, it's there forever, and when you smell it, it brings you back to that place, there are certain things that seem to never change. You look at Mount Mananok and you're like, that thing must have been there forever. And it's been that way for how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Change, though, is inevitable. And change happens whether we recognize that it's happening or not. Things are changing. Some change is extremely dramatic, sudden, and extremely noticeable. I can think back because we were just talking about it in September. Um, the Sunday, I think it's the second Sunday in September, will be September 11th, 9-11, and it hasn't fallen on a Sunday for a while, and I was just thinking about it. September 11th, and many of you can remember that. Some of you don't. You're too young, but you remember what it was like on September 11th and how much the world changed at that moment. Air, travel, flying on a plane changed forever after that moment. Dramatic shift, dramatic change. I don't know if you can remember, because it's been so long, but some of you, can you remember 2020? Do you guys remember that, or is that erased out of your mind? Has that changed a few things for some people in this life and economy and world? Yeah, I think it's so, right? We'd say things got a little weird after that, right? I, I was saying it earlier that there's B.C. and A.D. B.C. is before COVID and A.D. is, I don't know, after disease. That's what I was trying to say, like B.C. A.D. So we all just consider things, oh, yeah, I remember in, you know, 1 B.C. or something, right, you know? And so it's so many things that like, yeah, I don't know if that joke wasn't that great. You guys didn't like that one. But we'll, 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 we'll try it again some other time. But change, right? We know things that are dramatic. And then sometimes it's just gradual. It's barely noticeable. You don't recognize it. But even in this moment, you're being changed. Slow rate. You can think about these things that do change over time. Mountains. I mean, Mount Mananok, like we said, that, that has changed over time. Even when the trail we were hiking the other day, they're repairing the trail because it erodes and breaks down and it's different. It looks different now than it probably did 50 years ago, 500 years ago. It looks a lot different. In fact, our bodies change every minute. They say that uh, cells in our body are dying and being replaced every minute. Somebody said, and I looked it up and it's partly true, but that you are a totally new body every seven years. And that rate only slows down the more we age. <laughs> uh, but that, that whole replacing of ourselves, the neurons in our brain, have already made new memories and stored them away in little data sensors of the minutes prior, of previous, of, that we've just experienced. So that sentence I just said, your brain took that and is starting to store it away. Sometimes we don't even know it's doing that, right? We don't know all the things that are happening and the change that we are going through but if you think with me about, 
you say, if you, if you were to look back in your life, what were you like 50 years ago? You're like, I'm like 20, dude. Oh, okay, well, some of you, 50, if, if you think about 20 years ago, what about 10 years ago? What about like a year ago? What did you, were you so sure of one year ago and now you're like, I, I don't know? Or what, what were you so unsure of that now you're like, wow, I see it clearly. It's amazing when we start to look back on life, the things we've been through, and how much things change. And sometimes we're in, we're in life, we're just living the dream, <laughs> and we have no idea of all the change that we are experiencing and going through. And sometimes we see all that change in a noticeable way. And otherwise, how, how, sometimes in life, there are certain things that never seem to change or really hard to change, like those areas that we find difficult to break, these bad habits, these addiction, or as the Bible says, these vices. How is it that we can change from those things and find actual lasting difference of walking in the Spirit and finding change that actually makes a difference? Some things in our lives seem to hold on, take forever to change, you could say. You might say, am I doing something wrong? Am I missing something? Is there some key to that I am just totally missing? Some things seem to come and go quicker than others. And so there's a there's a phrase that I've been thinking about a lot recently. It's called growing in grace. Growing in grace. J.C. Ryle wrote a book named, uh, called Holiness that I read this summer. He was in, in the 1800s. He was an Anglican bishop of Liverpool. Um, and, and he writes this. He says, when I speak of growth in grace, I only mean increase in the degree, size, strength, vigor, and power of the graces with which the Holy Spirit plants in a believer's heart. I hold that every one of those graces admits of growth and progress and increase, but I also hold that repentance, faith, hope, love, humility, zeal, courage, and the like may be of little or great at times, strong or weak, vigorous or feeble, and may vary greatly in the same man at different periods of his life, depending on where they are. And when I speak of a man or a woman growing in grace, I simply mean this, that his sense of sin becomes deeper, his faith is stronger, his hope is brighter, his love more extensive, his spiritual mindedness more marked. He feels more of the power of godliness in his own heart. He manifests more of it in his life. He is going on from strength to strength, from faith to faith, from grace to grace. I leave it to others to describe such a man's condition by any words that they please. But for myself, I think of the truest and best ways to describe this is that he is growing in grace. I like that way of thinking of it. I read him because he's just got a way better way with words than I do. (laughs) Growing in grace. What does that look like? Well, there's this concept of grace. We'll talk about this idea of threefold grace and what that is. But when you think about grace today, I don't know about you, but on the news, everyone's talking about debt. Is that coming out a lot? Everybody hearing about a lot about debt? Who's paying for debt? This debt, that debt, everybody's in debt. What if you were billions of dollars of debt in debt, right? Or what if you were the American government? You could just say that, okay? What if, what if you were billions and billions and billions of dollars in debt and you cannot repay that debt? Someone comes along and repays it. It's wiped away. There's only one person that can do that spiritually for us to remove our debt forever and by Colossians 2.14 describes it by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. He nails it to the cross. Jesus took your debt, your sin, your pain, and he nailed it to the cross. That is called grace. Grace. We don't deserve it. It comes to us. It is given to us by 
a gift. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of our own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one should boast. We are his workmanship now, this masterpiece. We'll talk about this in a moment, but the Bible talks about grace in different ways. There's different theological terms for it. Some of you know the words justification and sanctification and glorification. This beginning regeneration and justification, kind of you could say the, the moment, the beginning, the positional, the start, and then the sanctification, the progress through life, and then the glorification when we meet our Savior face to face. This is, you would say, the life of a Christian, the life of a Christian. Many would describe it in other ways, uh, past grace, present grace, future grace, but it's all grace, and we can't always separate them out. They're connected. You can't have sanctification without justification. They are together. Positional sanctification, progressive sanctification, final sanctification. Did I say sanctification enough yet? Yeah, everybody? Okay, you, you with me right there? I'll say it a few more times here. David Pallison writes it this way. He says, in the past tense, your sanctification has happened, and you are a saint. Isn't that awesome? That's why I can say to you, hey, saints of God, how you doing, right? You are a saint. You have been saved. You could say period or a capital letter at the beginning of your story. From the sins, we are saved ultimately from its penalty, and now we are set apart and made holy, different, set apart to God and from sin. And now, in the present tense, like your everyday life, the change that's going on right now in your life, in the present tense, your sanctification is now being worked out. God is working through your life on a scale of days, years, minutes, you could say decades, to remake you and mold you into the likeness of Jesus. You are being progressively sanctified. You are being saved. This is the story of your life. You're being saved and it's being written every moment. And in the future tense, our hope is preserved for us in an inheritance in heaven. It awaits for us. The Bible says it's sure and it cannot be taken or corrupted. In the future sense, your sanctification will be perfected. You will live with him. You will see God's face. You will participate in the glory of God himself. You will be saved. They are connected. This past grace, you could say the title of Jordan Moody's story, Justify. I am saved. Present grace, this story is now being written. And as my story of my life is being written every day, I am being saved. And then future grace, we recognize there's almost no end to this because we will be perfected, but you can think of at that story, there's an ellipsis, dot, 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 future forever as we are held in the grace of Jesus Christ forever and ever. And that's why we see in 2 Corinthians 3 this concept, when we behold, we're beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other each and every day. So I want if you still don't believe me about this or you need more proof, let's turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. I want to look at this passage. We're going to be looking at a variety of passages, not spending too much time on one thing today. We're going to be walking through this idea as we explore how God changes us. And so look at this, um, Titus 2 verse 11. Here's the word we've been talking about, right? For by grace, for the grace of God, what does it say? For the grace of God has appeared. Past tense, it has appeared. Jesus has come, bringing salvation for all people. Past, thank the Lord. Jesus came at Christmas. He rose on Easter, and we are now alive in him. 
Believe in him. Come to him. He is risen, and so will you. Grace has appeared, right? But we don't stay there. We don't stop there. It goes on. Verse 12. Look at verse 12. What does it say? Grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness. So now in our life, we're shedding off that sin. We're training us in in the spirit to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It is now this sense of now our life each and every day. We are being trained to renounce ungodliness. We are being trained to shed off the old man and put on the new each and every day. Then verse 13, what does it say? So that would, you could say that was the, the present. And then we move on to the future. What does it say? Verse 3, right now we are, love this, waiting you find yourself like that every now and then. We just say, how great thou art when Christ shall come. And you're thinking, man, he's about to break into song here, right? With humble, Christ is coming. And so we look to that, waiting for Christ to come for our, as it says in the passage, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope. The, you could almost say the second appearing, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have the past in 11, present in 12, future in 13. Like that. And it says, it goes on, moves on right here in verse 14. It rehashes everything. Verse 14, it is Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus gives himself to redeem us, save us, justify us, free us to do what? So he can purify us for himself, a people for his own possession, who now do what? Sit around and twiddle their thumbs and wait? No, so that we can now be zealous for good works. Isn't that cool? You got to get the progress there. And, and yet, change is, is not always just this three-step process that I follow this step, I go to this step, and I go to this step. I know some of you are very analytical. You like the little order. Some are a little bit more free-flowing. I think change is a little bit more free-flowing often. The transformation that happens in our lives, that we are being transformed like a, like a root, like a seed, where we grow up in every way to him who is the head in Ephesians 4. I don't know about you, if your kids probably recently, or maybe some of you adults find it fun, you're collecting caterpillars lately, right? Because monarch season is around. At least in our house, it's like a whole thing. It's like monarch season. It's like a part of the end of the year. It's like this massive thing. Every day I come home, the girls run, look, the caterpillars are doing this, right? We have neighbors with uh, milkweed and all that. So we're out collecting caterpillars. And you know the story of metamorphosis and the caterpillar, and it changes one day into a beautiful butterfly, right? You know, so it's a perfect illustration. Why? Well, actually, because that whole process of the caterpillar becoming a butterfly is called metamorphosis. And it's a Greek word, and it's biblical, right? Why? Because it's, it's right there back in 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3, we are being transformed as metamorpho. It is a Greek word for metamorphosis. It is this changing of one into another. And it was pretty remarkable. In fact, the other day I saw the caterpillar. I hadn't seen it happen. I've seen them caterpillar. I've seen the chrysalis. I've seen the monarch. It was pretty cool. The caterpillar crawled up into the jar. It makes this little silk pad on the top. And then what it does is it begins to spin have you seen this? Pretty nuts. It begins to spin, and it kind of sheds off this skin. It's called molting, and it molts this skin. It's kind of gross, actually. And then, and then eventually, as it spins, it, like, pops its little head off and everything, and then it falls down, and then it, like, curls up and becomes a chrysalis. And it happens in, like, a minute. It's pretty nuts. I was like, what? And my kids were like, that's so cool, you know? 
And it was really neat, this metamorphosis, the caterpillar spinning. And, you're like, and then, of course, me being the, the pastor that I am, I was like, there's a spiritual lesson in that, kids, you know. And I was like, okay. And I was like, I'll write that down for Sunday, you know. That's basically my life, right. Uh, but it is. It's this concept of like this shedding off as Ephesians 4, Colossians 3. Last, last year, around October, I preached a message called Vice Versa from Colossians 3. We talked about this same idea. In fact, if you were to take this sermon today and last year's sermon, you'd compare them side by side. They'd be so similar. God's been teaching me this for a while, but this vice versa, this idea that you have this seesaw kind of aspect of life, the put off of the vices and the putting on of the virtues, and we are being renewed every day to do that. The put off, put on, put off. It's not one or the other. It's, it's joined together. We put off to put on. We put off to put on. It is this aspect of a mortification of the flesh, as John Owen would say, and the vivification of the spirit. Mortification, death, vivification. I'm not going to say that again. Bringing to life, right, uh, of the spirit. You, you understand where I'm going there, right? And this is the concept that we see also in Ephesians 2. I guess you could even make that, I did a, a wedding yesterday, you, you, can, you can make the same comparison into marriage as well, this idea that we are married, we tie the knot, we put on the ring, and then at the ceremony, it doesn't end there, but we live out that marriage through our life as we become transformed into one flesh together over a lifetime. You don't have it all figured out the next day. It's a lifetime of extending grace to one another of putting off of my selfishness and putting on love for my wife and being transformed into one. Marriage is a wonderful example of the Christian life and God has designed it that way. But Ephesians 2 verse 8, we've read it already, for by grace you have been saved through faith and is not of our own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of work so that anybody can boast like they're better than someone else, but we are his workmanship. You held that, hold that little word right there in your head. Workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Some of my ninth graders know when we memorize that, that we should what? Walk in them. Do you guys remember that? Okay, remember? So this whole idea of memorizing this idea, getting implanted in our head, because that idea of workmanship is so important. It's not this we are a finished product overnight. It is this concept that we are God's work of art. That workmanship carries with a sense in the Greek that we are this work of art, a masterpiece being molded and sculpted and formed and fashioned into the likeness of Christ with one day when he returns, the maturity of the manhood of that aspect has been presented to God, completing holiness. It's a beautiful concept. First Thessalonians 4.3 says that this is the will of God. You know what it says? This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Not, not Kennedy. What's the will of God? Your sanctification. That he would sanctify you over a lifetime. First Thessalonians 7 says, For God has not called us to impurity, but he has called us in holiness to live for him. And yet some of you, I know what it's like waking up in the morning and not feeling very holy, frustrated with the areas that you're still growing in. But I want you today to come away from this message, I hope, by the end, that you won't be feeling frustrated, but you will be feeling motivated because the grace of God covers you even in this moment. Philippians 3 also says this. Like I said, we're going to be looking at a couple passages. Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained. This is Paul speaking. The great apostle Paul. <laughs> All the things that he experienced in life. Yes, a dramatic transformation and a lifetime of also growing in grace. He says this, Philippians 3, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfect. 
I haven't figured it all out. It's not done. I'm still growing each and every day. Not that I've already obtained this or already perfect, but I press on. Don't be frustrated. Press on in faith. And I love this idea. I press on to make it my own. He said, make your salvation your own. Own it, people. If I'm going to preach at you right now, own it, he says. I like Dallas Willard says that, that grace, grace is not opposed to effort but to earning. If you're trying to earn your way to heaven, you've got a problem. If you're looking for effort, that's exactly how we partner with God. It, we need effort. You've got to show up to church. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to submit and obey and walk in the Spirit. Nobody's saying just sit on the couch and don't do anything. But rather, effort. Yes, he says, make it my own. But does he end there? No, he keeps going. I press on to make it my own because it's all about me and it's about works. No, 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 no. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? I I press on to make it my own. Why? Because my identity is in Christ. I don't need to get that identity or value or reason or purpose or meaning from anywhere else. I already have it. It motivates me now to live a life of faith with works supporting that life of faith. For a life without works is, is dead. Faith without works is dead, as James would say. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then it says, let those who are mature... Meaning they have grown in grace for many years. They are mature. Let us think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Let us hold true to what we have attained, what we know to be sure, the promised glorification in the Spirit one day. That is as we hold to. Ephesians 4, other places. I don't have time to go to this one. It talks about the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, the pastors, equipping you as the saints for the work of the ministry until one day we attain the unity of faith. It says, till one day through the knowledge of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so we may no longer be tossed to and fro, but that we, as it says in, in Ephesians 4, it says that we will grow up in every way. There's so many ways to describe this. I struggle because there's not one metaphor that I can kind of give you. It's such a multifaceted thing. And I think that's because God has a process of change. Change takes time. Change takes time. Kind of like the time it takes to get in shape, to exercise. Boy, there's a triathlon coming up, okay, for some of you involved in the little lambs thing. I, saw, I heard somebody else tell me the other day, they're a very experienced athlete, they said, that the secret to like training and exercise and staying in shape is like, they were like embracing the pain, right? And enjoying the process, they said. It almost sounded like a cliche, like, yeah, whatever, dude, embrace the process, what does that mean? No, like, he's like, if you learn, and then I saw this the other day, like, if you learn to enjoy the run, and I'm like, how do you do that? I don't know, I guess sometime it happens, but learn to enjoy the run. And you'll have no problem finishing the race or completing your goals. Isn't that kind of neat? It's like we're always looking to the end. Yes, we should. In fact, Hebrews, look to the finish line, looking to Jesus, right? But there is a certain sense of embracing the process that it takes to get there. And when it's difficult to finish, when we can't stand the journey. 
And sometimes that journey is the fun part. We grow in there and we, we, we stop to smell the roses and acknowledge what God is doing in our life, even though we don't feel satisfied to where we are yet at this point. There's this other guy I follow on YouTube. He's a fascinating person. His name is, I think it's Martin Doulard. He's Danish and whatever. He, he has this idea of, he, he he's, has these books he's written about his journeys on a bike. He's biked across the world. And uh, he did two years from Vancouver to Patagonia. So Vancouver, Canada, all the way down to Chile and Argentina, the tip, Tierra del Fuego. He's done all on a bike. It's nuts. And he, he records this thing. But what I found refreshing about what he talks about is just the concept of like he had a goal to finish. He needed to get to the bottom of South America. But he talks about learning to embrace each and every day that he was biking and making progress on his bike every day with all his gear, tenting and camping along the way. Just embracing where he was at and not missing the beauty. Sometimes when I've been running Mount Mananok, hiking Mount Mananok, I'm going for a time. I'm trying to push myself. And I forget to even look around and see the beauty. And the other day I was coming down kind of fast and I looked around and I was like, you know what, this is kind of beautiful, you know? But you're so focused on how much it hurts, right, that you forget to look around and see what God is doing and the beauty of his creation that he has put you in. A spiritual life, true lasting life, being sanctified in the spirit is a lifetime of walking in the spirit, being filled in the spirit, not always trying to skip the process of spiritual transformation. We press down, yes, we fall down, but we get back up through God's grace, I please him with my life, but I ask for forgiveness when my life doesn't please him. It's God who is full of grace, patience, and forgiveness. We're humans made in God's image. And as in my human life, he is making me more and more into his image of his son, Jesus, to look like him every day. Kelly Capick says it this way, and I'm going to read a couple quotes and kind of talk about it as I, I think it helps to bring out this idea of the transformation, the time, the life, the journey, the spiritual journey. Many of us, he says, has difficulty valuing process, right? Tedious practices, the significance of slow growth, and the beauty of development are easily rejected in our culture of rapid download speeds and instant gratification. Wi-Fi here and now, right? I want to be done with this, man. Get me to the finish line now. He says this, with similar impatient, impatience, we often wonder why God doesn't instantly change us and everything gets easy overnight. He says this kind of candidly, he says, I yell at my kids when I shouldn't. I'm trapped in self-absorption that never seems to end. My endless disordered desires feed my greed and lust. Sin is not just this past issue that's totally gone, but a present struggle for believers in life takes great effort and perseverance not to give up. And so we ask, why God extends his grace to our broken and needy lives? Why doesn't he immediately free us from all our faults? Why are my bad habits not erased and positive virtue instantaneously produced? And if God doesn't like sinful certain attitudes and behaviors, why doesn't it sometimes seem like he stops forgiving us in it? Why doesn't the Almighty instantly transform us so we could never fall short again? And you could say, well, we'd be in heaven at that point. Well, kids uh, are learning to walk. My, my youngest, my son Judd, is learning to walk, and he's tripping all the time and, and falling, but he's starting to run and all this stuff. But it's, you know what it's like in the process of a child's development to see them develop and grow up. And it's this idea of practice, and it takes time. My daughter came in crying the other day. She was uh, learning to do one of those um, 
jump ropes, like one of those old toys you put on your ankle and you jump and you skip around it. Have you seen one of those things? Yeah, skip rope? Is that what it's called? Okay. It's just, thank you. It says skip it. Okay. She was doing that. When she first got it, I kid you not, she could do like two or three times. And she'd get frustrated. And was like, just keep trying, honey. Keep trying. And then she came running in the next day and told me, Daddy, I can't do it. And I was trying to figure out what, what she was crying about, first of all. And then I realized the skip it. She's like, I can't do it. I can't. I was like, what do you mean you can't do it? And then she said, I only did 19 and I was trying to do 20, right? And I said, honey, you better do 20 next time. I'm not going to love you, right? Is that what I said? No, no. I said, it's okay. You, yesterday you could do three. Today you're almost doing 20. And then I kid you not, yesterday she did 84, I was like, what? That's cool, right? You know, it's like you just see like three days transformation process, right? And then again, being the good pastor, write down illustration, right? You know, no, it's like <laughs> some of you are like scared to be in conversation with me because you'll be in a sermon illustration later. That's just how God gives us children. That's their job, right? You know? But I think that's the idea of like, is God like that expecting 84 the first time I try? Kelly Capix says, yet when it comes to our Father in heaven, while we would never admit it, we often think very poorly of him. We seem to believe he expects us to be instantly flawless, to never make a mistake, and never fall back and hit the ground. Sadly, I think many of us who've experienced maybe a church culture that expected that out of us creates inside of us a battle where we're constantly dealing with that pressure of judgmentalism and legalism and a standard that we can never meet and a lack of grace, and we find ourselves struggling in our adult lives to recognize that how is it that God could still love me even though I wake up at times and still struggle? Am I in a church culture where I can actually admit the fact that I'm still struggling with something? And I need patience, and I need grace, and I need mercy and love. And so sometimes we're frustrated with the long obedience in the same direction, and we're frustrated with the process of change and the transformation, and we go chasing things that we think will take it away in an instant. But Kelly Capix says this, when we envision God as a temperamental father, the Christian life will seem heavy and burdensome rather than hopeful and promising. For if you're in Christ, there's therefore now no condemnation. We walk in the spirit, we persevere as Hebrews says, we keep going and God will complete his work in you. I think we, we forget that God isn't in a rush. I value efficiency, <laughs> on timeness, Wi-Fi speeds that I get something when I want. But if you think about the way God has designed the earth, a seedling to take months and months to grow into something that is pro profitable. When we think about our own lives as the practice and the time that it takes, I think God doesn't value efficiency and speed the same way that we do. I think it's this concept of, of being transformed. It's this change that takes time. The art of slowing down to embrace the process of the Spirit's work. The slow drip coffee of the transformation and metamorphosis. It isn't, isn't that comforting though, right? I find it comforting. I hope you do as well. I'm not here to put a burden on you and an expectation that when you walk through those doors, you better have your act together. <laughs> That's not how it is here, and it won't be while I'm here. We're here embracing the change, embracing the work of the Spirit in all of our lives in dynamic and varied ways. That's kind of my last point here today, that, that, that God works in dynamic ways, and He changes you in dynamic ways. 
I like formulas. I like logic. I like A plus B equals C every time. But I think sanctification, especially as we read of it in the Scripture, is not a formula. Uh, God doesn't work in formulas because you're not a robot and you're not an algorithm. Your TikTok and Facebook feeds work in algorithms. They produce some expected result every time. And they're designed that way. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, we read it earlier, sorry, in verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It does not say there is algorithm. Input equals output every time. Sometimes God works in radical, life-altering ways. Paul's experience on the Damascus Road. This extraordinary change, and yet sometimes there's the thorn in the flesh in Paul, the praying and the growing in grace, and him saying, look, Lord, my, your grace is sufficient for me. Pressing into that over a lifetime, there is these small, ordinary, and I dare say, sometimes unnoticeable ways that God changes us until 20 years later, you look back and you realize all the change that God has worked in your life. And even in this moment, you've been changed, varied change from varied directions and varying shapes and sizes. And so our last and final way of looking at this is an illustration that I stumbled upon by David Powlison. The booth can put it up on the screen, and it's a way that I think helps visualize what I've been talking about this whole time. And it's a way to describe that you are changing. You're in the middle there. You're in the middle of this nice, beautiful house, okay? You can imagine, no, joking. All right, you're in this house. You're, you change in the middle. But how is it that you change? We know that you change. We know we're being transformed. The first aspect and the most important aspect is the foundation of the house that God changes you. God is the source, the beginning, the everything to the change in our life. He sends his Holy Spirit to be the comforter and the helper to make all of these arrows work. And so God changes us. It starts there. God changes you. With the top, the roof, you could say that protects the whole of everything, is God's truth. You could say his word. You could say scripture. Changes you. John 17 says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. I love that translation. God uses to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. He uses the word of God. It is the aspect of the roof that changes us. And then I really enjoy this one. Sometimes we forget how much this one is working in our life. I would say God uses wise people to change you. This is a broad category. And, and like I said, this is not an order in a sense like one, two, three, four. This is an aspect that God is doing all of these things at the same time. I dare say today on Sunday, he will have worked every one of those things probably in one way, shape, or form in your life to change you and mold you. Wise people change you. Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks in the wise with the way of the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Ephesians 4 says he gives the church, the apostles and prophets, we've mentioned this already, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that we would grow up in him and reach the mature measure of the stature of Christ, he says. This aspect of wise people change you. That's why you, in many ways, come to church. 
because wise people are surrounding you and speaking life into you. I'm not just talking about myself. That if anything, I'm not in that sense. I'm saying the church as a group, as a living organism, speaks into one another and changes you and molds you as you come around people to encourage you in the ways of Christ. One would say perpetual isolation will change you and keep you from the one of God's great means of sanctification. When we isolate ourselves, we're being changed, just not the way that God intends. And then we could say, and we all know, this is the one we maybe don't enjoy, the one we try to skip, like don't talk about this one, suffering and struggle change you. And maybe sometimes that changes you the most readily. It's the most, you can't avoid it. Romans 5 says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And more than that, we rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces, changes us, gives us endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. James 1 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It changes you. And then ultimately at the end, as we know life, we change. You change. Changing every day. Changing every moment. The question is, are we changing into the likeness of Christ? Or are we changing in some altered, disordered desire? And I find this greatly comforting. I, I find it greatly comforting because I'll step up here into the pulpit at times and I you know, I don't always have everything together and all the answers and pat little answers for everything that I experience in life. <laughs> I know sometimes it might seem like it, but it's not. And coming to you today, knowing that there are still areas of my life in which God is changing me and molding me. But I can attest to you that I have seen the spiritual work of God's Holy Spirit in my life personally over the last 10 years, the last 20 years. I have seen him work in my life. And give me a, a greater realization for beholding his glory. That I will be transformed each and every moment from one degree of glory into another. Philippians 2, and this is our final area. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. This is key. In a moment, he just said, as you have always obeyed, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation. That's the idea of what we talk about. It. Work it out, people. Put in the effort. Open your Bible. Pray. Come to church. Gather together. Encourage one another. Get alone with God. Work it out. But it doesn't end there. That's what always gives me encouragement. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, or you could say for his good sanctifying grace to make us more and more holy. It's a beautiful sense. As we are now all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image, one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word God, thank you how it just, I guess, Lord, I guess you could say, just cuts me to the core. Thank you, Lord, for speaking through your church and your people. Thank you, God, for being our truth. 
you could say as your words, the way, the truth, and our life. We fall in your presence today. We humbly adore you. We give you the glory, and we know that it's not ourselves who work this out, but it, it's that you work in us, Christ, through me. We thank you for these truths. God, I ask that you'd be glorified, you'd be praised, and be honored today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.